Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. My guest in this episode is at the center of the workplace learning technologies industry in Canada. We discuss the latest trends, tips on how to successfully incorporate learning in the workplace, and the upcoming Canadian e-learning conference. Dr. Cindy Plunkett is Director of Learning Design and Development at Point Click Care, a platform that connects data in the care sector. She is also the Executive Director of the Canadian e-learning conference, the first conference in Canada to focus on learning technologies in the workplace. With over 20 years of experience in online instructional design and development, specializing in learning in the healthcare sector, Cindy has worked with three of the largest academic teaching hospitals in Canada on high-profile projects. She is deeply involved in the learning technology community in Canada and shares her knowledge as a part-time professor in the Faculty of Education at Ontario Tech University, teaching the Financial Management of E-Learning Projects course. Thank you, Cindy, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. This is super exciting for me. Well, I'm very happy to have you and to discuss the Canadian landscape. You're just so involved in really a lot of different ways in the workplace learning technologies sector in Canada, and I know internationally as well, but uh, very much plugged into the Canadian uh, context, which I'm looking forward to discuss with you. But before we before we get into that, tell me a little bit more about your experience working as a learning technology specialist, particularly in the healthcare sector. Can you tell me a little bit what kind of work you do? It's certainly been an evolution, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but I worked in the acute care hospitals in uh, the Toronto area for about 20 years before I moved to the private sector. And I remember in 2001, when we implemented our first ever learning management system, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was such a huge deal. And no single hospital could kind of afford to buy one on their own. So we had this group of hospitals, academic teaching hospitals in Toronto that all got together uh, to purchase one learning management system that we kind of segmented out for everybody's purposes. Think about that journey from first learning management system to when I left the public sector healthcare At Baycrest, we had created virtual reality tours of the hospital, virtual reality dementia simulations, augmented reality sort of scavenger hunts for onboarding. It just seems like in that span, huge leaps in what we were doing for using technology for learning. That's fantastic because I think a lot of industries and a lot of sectors are going through now where you were many years ago, where one LMS was being used for several organizations. I certainly hear that happening in in different sectors where they're starting down that path of how do we use an LMS? Can we really afford it? Let's come together. So, but you've seen it really transition through all these different stages, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. And I think 
know, healthcare is a little bit different as far as technology, because I think if you can prove the case, they're on board for, for new and exciting tech. It's just sort of getting that business case together, because certainly in the public sector, you're not as funded, you know, the education pockets as other sectors that have like these great big L&D departments, you know, you are typically a department of one, (laughs) one person (laughs) that administrates the LMS, manages all the learning projects, builds and develops all of the learning projects, you know, so the great part is, though, it gives you a really fantastic 360 view of learning, because it means that you do need to know the technologies, you do need to know about learning systems, you need to be a solid instructional designer. Mm. You also need to be able to be an e-learning developer. <laughs> and so you really get to have your finger in every part of a project life cycle. Yes, that is very, very interesting. And, and you've seen it come a long way where you said that there's uh, all the you know virtual reality and augmented reality. Can you just say one or two examples of really interesting ways in which technology is used for learning in the healthcare sector. Gosh, I can give you some like many examples, but I'll narrow it down to a couple. So, so my PhD research for that, it was rooted in a project that we were doing at Baycrest, which is um, a geriatric focused facility. So older adults, we created a virtual reality dementia simulation that would put healthcare workers, healthcare students in the shoes of someone with dementia and really give them that first person's perspective. Because otherwise, if you think about it, how else do you understand what it's like to have an altered perception? That's interesting because I think of dementia as forgetting your past. So how is a virtual reality helping? So that's very one actually small aspect of dementia. Dementia is Um, There's a framework called the eight A's of dementia, but dementia can be a number of different things that happen. Part of it can be, and I'm not going to use the technical terms because I'll save every, spare everyone that, but part of it is not having a, a level of depth perception. So if you see a black mat, you don't perceive it as a mat, you perceive it as an endless hole. Oh, really? And so what a lot of people don't understand is like when they're trying to transition someone with dementia across a doormat, or there's a carpet with a lot of black pieces on it, or you're trying to get someone with dementia into a car and think about the black car mats. And as they're Mm. trying to sit down, they think they're going to fall. And so the dementia simulation takes them through these different eight A's where you see this black map, but then you see this cavernous hole opening up in front of you. Hmm. And how does that make you feel? And another part is people with dementia, and they may not have all of the eight A's, but they, they don't understand sort of order of operations. So you start to put on a sweater, but you can't remember, you don't understand how to pull it over your head. And so there's an experience in the virtual reality where in the first person, you get stuck in the sweater and all you can see is red and sort of a little bit of light coming through in front of you, but you can't get out. And so we had students going through it and the level of panic and claustrophobia that they were feeling. And we said, 
So now what we need you to understand from the flip side is if you have a client or a resident that's trying to put on their clothes and they get stuck and you see them start to panic, this is why they don't understand that they just need to pull down to get their head through that sweater. They feel completely panicked and claustrophobic because they're stuck and they don't know how to get out. Fascinating. That's really, really interesting. What a great example of how virtual reality is a helpful learning tool, because I think that's often questioned of, well, what will virtual reality do in a a learning context? But it's one thing for you to explain to me these things that I didn't realize about dementia. But I know having used virtual reality headsets, how incredibly immersive it is. And that feeling that you get of falling through a hole or being stuck, that feeling you really do get from a virtual reality experience. So what a great learning experience to be able to give people the empathy and the understanding of what others are going through when they're taking care of them in the healthcare sector. Phenomenal. Certainly. And when we talk about virtual reality is not the magic pill for every single thing. Exactly. But there are fantastic applications. Mm -hmm. And it was super interesting that in my research anyways, 95% of the people that were taking this simulation were not just healthcare students. So the whole sample population were healthcare students in a variety of different disciplines, but over 95% of them had a personal contact with a person with dementia. And even with that heightened level of knowledge and empathy that they had going into the experience, they still came out with improved empathy after the experience. That is very, very important. Absolutely. Well, that's a great example, very interesting example of how to use how to use technology in, in the workplace learning. So you're involved in a lot of different aspects of workplace learning technologies. You're executive director of the Canadian e-learning conference. You also teach at university. And of course, you work as well in, in the field. You have an amazing perspective of what is happening globally and specifically in Canada. So can you tell me a little bit about the similarities and differences? How similar and different is Canada to other countries in terms of workplace learning technology? Well, you know, I used to think that we lagged. That was sort of a a personal impression that I had until I actually started going out to more and more conferences that were in different places. And I was like, actually, we're not lagging. We're leading in some areas, which is fantastic. And I, you know, I look at, especially when it comes to uses for virtual reality, when it comes to medical education, we have tons of people doing extraordinary work in that field. I think as Canadians, we talk about it maybe a little bit less (laughs) than other people, but I, but I don't find that we're all that different than other countries. And I think, you know, when it comes to meeting learning and development professionals around the world, I think that there are a lot more commonalities between us Mm -hmm. than there are differences. It's important to see that and to, as you said, see it internationally, but also see it across sectors, which I know we talked a little bit about before. So often in different sectors, people encounter the same challenges and also can leverage the same opportunities, can share ideas that would work well in different sectors, different industries. Um, So it's really important to kind of get out of your geographical or industry bubble and and see what's happening because learning cuts across all sectors. In your perspective, looking at all the different ways that technology is used, what are some of the best ways that you see learning tech being used in the workplace? I mean, you gave a phenomenal example in the healthcare sector, but 
Overall, what do you think are some of the best ways that technology can be used in workplace learning? Sure. One thing that I've been working really hard on this last couple of years with the organization that I'm in is really leveraging learning technology to put the learner in the driver's seat. I think often the legacy perspective of learning tech is that you have an LMS and you use it for compliance training, and everybody has to go through and do their training within X amount of time. And so it's cultivated this perception amongst people that online learning, learning management systems, everything to do with learning tech equals compliance training that nobody likes to do, um, that I'm being forced to do from the top down. Right. So what I'm loving seeing around technology now and the way that it's being leveraged is to say to learners, this is your playing field. Every single person learns multiple times throughout the day. So how can we leverage technology to enhance that? How can we leverage technology to promote sharing? So how do we say, hey, I watched this great YouTube video, read this fantastic article. I want to share that with my peers, um, with my internal work team, um, with other people in my community of practice. That is really the best way that I see learning technology being used. Learners are driving the engagement. Learners are sharing. And it just sort of creates this multiplicity effect. Absolutely. As you said, creating those communities is fantastic. Keeping the flame alive for those communities, the LMS can be a really good platform for that. The thing that I love about L&D is the most fantastic L&D practitioners that I really look up to, that I put in like sort of that your top 10 list of people that you want to be when you grow up, (laughs) they are the people that are the most prolific sharers in those communities of practice. Like when I think about people posting great opportunities, um, knowledge on Twitter or LinkedIn or any other sort of sharing platform, I find the best of the best in learning and development are all about sharing and promoting other people's learning and development. Absolutely. That's really true. That's so important because there's so much out there and so much, it's such a wide field that we really do need to share good resources, good information. And that's, that's a really good thing. But You mentioned a little bit about learning being a playing field, allowing people to really learn throughout the day and be in the driver's seat. Of course, learning also often falls to the wayside when work gets really busy, time is the essence. How have you seen companies or organizations really promote that mentality of here's a lot of different learning resources and ways for you to access it throughout the day in the ways that you need it? What makes it successful? So I think there's a couple of things. I think from the very top, the top of the organization needs to actually be vocal and articulate that they value people learning and developing. When I talk to leaders in our organization, I talk about the fact that developmental objectives, like you have your performance objectives that are helping you meet company targets, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then to balance that, you're supposed to have developmental objectives, yes. but those are the ones that always slip off the plate because it's how are we hitting our targets? How are we hitting our targets? But if you're not fostering those developmental objectives, your company is going to stagnate. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to leaders, I let them know it is your responsibility 
to hold space for that development to happen. Hold space in the calendar to have at least monthly conversations about where your directs want to develop. You know, what are their aspirations this year, next year, five years from now? And make it okay. Actually talk about it and make it okay for them to take time during their day to develop. So important. Because if you as a leader don't talk about it, people just assume, well, I need to just keep hitting that bottom line. Those who you really look up to in terms of who do this well, leaders who do this well, is that what they do, that they regularly talk about the importance of it? Is there something specific that they do or say? So I think the best leaders I've had that have promoted this are the ones that cultivate trust that you know that you can talk to them about the future. You know, even if you're not going to be staying with the organization, they're going to help you continue to develop. And that they do say to you, no, if you're going to this conference, put your out of office on, do not look, you're in that conference, you're there to develop. Or if you're going to that workshop, again, put your out of office on, we'll find somebody to cover, make sure you're vested and you're present in that workshop. But if the leader doesn't articulate and make it okay, then people feel split, right? Because, well, I'm on work time at this workshop. So, you know, it's lunch, maybe I should just pop in and look at this one or two email. And you know, that sucks you down a rabbit hole, because the next session starts up and you're still in the email. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, this is just fantastic. I mean, just now the podcast that came out, with the VP of learning at the IOG in Ottawa said the exact same thing. Learning has to have space. You take 10% of your time saying, oh, I'm just going to check my email. I'm just going to answer this really important work commitment or question. But that doesn't mean it's 10% lost on your learning. That means a lot more. Your understanding, your retention is much, much greater than that few minutes that you spent continuously being interrupted. It's a huge problem and you lose a lot of resources. The organization loses a lot of investment that they made into you learning. So leaders need to keep that in mind that if you've invested that, you also need to make it stick by giving the person time. Well, I mean, this very much leads into the challenges that I wanted to ask you about because it's certainly a challenge and everyone's pulled for time and resources. But what are some of the big challenges that you see in learning tech in the workplace? Uh, I guess there's a few things. I mean, budget is always a pressure, mm-hmm. right? If you're in a place with limited budget, then it's an interesting space because it makes things more difficult. You also have to be a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. And certainly I have operated in learning technology roles with zero budget. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be... That requires a lot of creativity. (laughs) That's yeah, it's definitely a challenge trying to find all of those, um, you know, free tools that you can leverage to make or figure out ways to create a revenue stream so that you can afford different tools. So that's definitely one of them. I think another one is people tend to make assumptions about ways tools should be used. And so everything should be an e-learning module or everything should be a this. Like, no, there's always the right tool for the right job, and you need the right person that knows how to use the tool as well. So I always go to carpentry examples. I'm like, okay, so 
You're not going to use a screwdriver to put a nail in a board. So you need the right tool for the right job. And on top of that, you're not going to have the plumber doing the carpenter's job. Like, so you do need a solid instructional designer, a solid developer. Some often those in roles, like one person roles, they're combined, but you need all of those skills. And then you also need to be able to take a look at the tasking and not go grab for the shiny because everybody wants to go for the shiny object and and tell you as much as I'm passionate about technologies and virtual reality, it is not the solution to every problem. It has its fit, just like every other tool. I absolutely love that. That is just a point that cannot be emphasized enough. I really like your analogy that just because the carpenter now has a shiny new screwdriver that just came out, doesn't mean you start hammering nails with the new screwdriver. <laughs> That's such a great analogy because we see this happen again and again, especially with learning technologies where everything new that comes out, we feel like now that applies to everything and it will spear, it will save all our problems. And that's not true. We always need to think, what are we trying to address? And is there a tool? Maybe it's a really old tool. Maybe it's something that's been around forever and that's the best tool for the job. But um, yeah, I I, tweeted about that just a couple of weeks ago where there was something that came up and I was laughing because I kind of done it, the analysis. I'm like, no, the right tool for this is a really solid PowerPoint deck with a great (laughs) facilitator. And I'm laughing because it's like, you know, how old school is that? Mm -hmm. Yes. But it was the right solution for that particular problem. And I tweeted, I'm like, here I am, you know everybody's like, oh, there's the learning technology. What's she going to come up with? And I'm like, PowerPoint and a great facilitator. <laughs> Fantastic. Very true. Very, very true. And we should not be shy to, to refer back to things that we've the had around forever. Tools that work, tools that work for that specific job and keep the tools, as you, you, know, you were saying, the virtual reality works incredibly well for that specific learning experience. When you're talking about behavior change, virtual reality has a definite niche for behavioral change. But, you know, if you just want to use it because you want to have something flashy in your onboarding or whatever, it might not be the best use of your money. (laughs) Yes. But in, in terms of implementation as well, I mean, implementation is always a challenge. Is there something that you've seen as a good practice, something that people should really be aware of and keep in mind when they're trying to implement new tools in an organization? Sure. Well, like I say, the the alignment is one. The other thing you need to think about uh, when we vet tools, we kind of have a, a grid. So when we are looking for a new tool to bring virtual reality into my current company, we were looking at a number of different things. One, how quick is it for the team to ramp up on? because that may matter depending on how soon, you know, your project is accessibility is another thing we run things through. Does it meet a number of the accessibility standards to make sure that we're uh, meeting the needs of everyone in our organization and cost, obviously always a factor is budget, but then, you know, also thinking about if we're bringing in a new tool, do we actually have a reason? Do we have a project that's coming up that this actually matches Or should we just cool things off for a little bit? We can do the analysis on the tools, but it's not the right time to buy if you're not going to be able to implement it and actually use it. Like thinking about fiscal responsibility, no matter what your budget looks like, don't bring something in 
just to say you have the tool. You want to be able to use it and apply it in the right way. Yes. And it always takes time as well. You can buy a great tool, but if you don't have the resources and the time to implement it, then that also is a, is a problem. Then it's not going to be used appropriately. Yeah. And that's where I go back to, like, if, if it's a tool um, that's so complicated that nobody on your team is going to be able to ramp up on it. Mm -hmm. Like I think of it, some of the great virtual reality tools require a certain level of coding. Well, if you have no one on your team that's comfortable with coding, you know, if it's the right tool, maybe you need to invest in some considerable upskilling. So it's all, it's just, it's a consideration. You know, I always think about at my daughter's school, the school council thought that um, the smart boards were so amazing. They did all this fundraising implemented smart boards throughout the school that was great but nobody thought about how they were going to teach the teachers how to use them and so those smart boards sat there they got used as movie screens they Mm -hmm. got used as like everything other than what they were actually meant to be with their full potential um, because the implementation didn't include a time frame to actually teach people how to use it. And a strategy on how to teach. And a strategy. And yeah. how to get over hurdles, because even when they're, you, you teach about the new technology, often it's, uh, it's a bit superficial on how to use it technically, but yes. not how to use it in your profession, which is right. very different. Into your actual practice. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's really important. There's always so much new and wonderful things coming out on the horizon. What do you see as something that organizations should be looking out for on what's to come in workplace learning? Yeah, I'm always looking for like, what's that next thing? And I think there's a couple of things. I think you've probably seen a lot of chatter lately around skills-based learning. Mm -hmm, I think that is only gaining momentum, especially with the current great resignation period yes and companies needing to be able to be a lot more flexible you know understanding and having a skills inventory in your organization um, and being able to sort of track and align materials to help people upskill in the areas they want to upskill or reskill having that transparency of you're in this role and you have these skills and you're at these levels this role has an additional different five or six skills and knowing what those are and how you can start to learn those skills because that's the role you want next. I see that very much being on the horizon and the need for uh, learning technology that is going to address that piece Um, and being able to tag things with different skills. Like as you're creating content, Mm -hmm. I can tag it with it. You know, this is around communication, um, time management, whatever it is. The other thing I see in workplace learning is needing mechanisms in place to allow for sort of natural organic sharing. Absolutely. That is huge. That is really, really important. Like, how can you enable that? How can you, and I mean, there's tons of ways to do that. You know, there's great books on creating social environments by design. I think those two things are going to be huge as workplaces move forward with learning. I don't think it's like one specific technology, but being able to address those couple of key things is what's going to rise certain organizations to the top. Absolutely. And those require good technologies to make them a success, but the technology isn't, isn't the key. And 
and the skills that being able to clearly identify skills and define them. And I think also measure them. Like, what does it mean for me to have this skill? You know, what does it mean to have time management or communication skills? Yes. And skills are interesting because you have to enable two different pieces, right? Mm -hmm. You have like in our system, we allow people to um, rate their skills and you can go so far with courses or videos or whatever in helping you get to that next level. But truly, if you're really going to, you know, gain an upskill, you need the opportunity mm-hmm. to practice and to apply. Practice, definitely. And so how are we holding space and creating space for that to happen too? Like, do you have an environment in your facility where you can do, people can apply for project-based assignments that will allow them to grow skills. You know, do you have gig assignments where people can drop into a specific Mm -hmm. role? Um, Do you have mentoring opportunities where people can um, work with someone that really has a high level of that skill to help bring you up and uplift you? Um, So it's not just you know, okay, we know what skills people have and we know where we want to go. How do we help make that happen? And as much as I love creating courses and have all, it's not just those that help make that happen. Meaningful experiences, being able to provide and create, give people yes. the opportunity for not just experience to practice, but meaningful experiences to practice. Yes. Is, yeah. And th- I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this balance of of course, once you put a badge on it, once you create a saying, okay, do you have this skill? Yes or no? And how much? There is that obvious need to be able to clearly define it and measure it, which there's absolutely a role for that. But there's also the danger of over-measuring or wanting to over-measure learning experiences that just really add depth to someone's knowledge. How do you, what do you feel about that balance? I think, I mean, the way that we approach it and the way I feel about it is there's always going to be that part of learning that isn't specifically quantifiable, right? Mm -hmm. It's the qualitative aspect. And I think that's when, when we talk about ROI, we have reframed it. It's like, it's not return on investment because if you're simply looking at dollars and cents, you're not going to get the feedback that you want on what you're getting out of L&D, but we like to talk about ROI as return on impact. Return on impact. I love that. Yeah. What impact has that learning had for that individual, for that individual's department, for the growth? And then like it always sort of filters upwards. But when you really provide people the opportunity to grow and develop um, and, you know, they, they become more apt at their particular role, or they grow into that next role role and leave space for someone else to come up through, or they contribute elsewhere in the company, the impact of you holding space for them to develop is the key piece. Mm, Really good. Uh, Because I think sometimes uh, that's, that's a really important piece for leaders to understand is that as people learn, it's almost like a puzzle. Things have to come together. So putting in one piece of the puzzle, you don't necessarily say, oh, it's done. It's not a, it's not a pass, mm-hmm. but you have to add different pieces of that puzzle to help the person grow and develop 
as, as you know, a lot of education research tells you that something is very important and very good and will help, but it may not be the only thing that you need to then make a quantifiable difference. Yeah, I think it's organizations coming around to understanding that you need a multifaceted approach and honestly just throwing courses into any learning system is not going to get you there yeah so you need to look at the other opportunities that you're providing are you providing workshops that then have not one and done that then have ongoing performance support that's happening to help people really apply what they learned like you know if if you're putting on a workshop around might be communication time management or how have you enabled the leader of those individuals to help them put that into practice Mm -hmm. how are you modeling that behavior like what's the ongoing impetus for that to stick and to continue on and are you you providing ongoing top-ups you know often talk about like subscription-based learning time-space learning that has lots of different names, but how are you supporting them to keep up that performance? Exactly. You don't don't just take the course and then forget about it. It's uh, (laughs) yes, very, very important. That's a terrible use of your money. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because that's the thing when you're thinking about return on investment, it's a terrible return on your investment. If you don't, you don't um, have the whole plan. You don't have the whole plan. Absolutely. And, uh, and those are organic those organic learning groups are just, often they're not even, that's probably the least expensive thing to do, but it takes intentional leadership and intentional space. And it really brings everything together. So really, really good things to to think about and to plan out. I mean, there's so much to discuss in this, this area. I really wanted to make sure that we also talk about the conference, which brings a lot of these ideas from industry and academia, brings them all together in the Canadian context, the Canadian e-learning conference. Can you tell tell us a little bit about that and what people can expect? Sure. I mean, so the conference definitely a, a labor of love. It is all of the members, the, the committee members are volunteers. So we all volunteer our time um, to put this conference on each year. Um, It started as a grassroots from a number of learning specialists, learning technologists um, in healthcare. Um, We were all one person shops. And so we were looking to create a community of practice and we just purchased this LMS together and we all needed to learn together and lean on each other and leverage each other. Um, And so that's how the conference first came about. And it started as a very small conference that was just geared towards Canadian hospitals. It was actually originally called the EACH conference, the e-learning alliance of Canadian hospitals. Mm -hmm. But what we found was, and this is where we talk about synergies across different L&D, you know, people in different sectors that are in L&D, we started to get bigger and bigger and um, have really great presenters on really great topics. And, you know, people from the LCBO in Ontario or other companies in industries like banks and retail, et cetera, said, listen, there's no other e-learning conference that's not academic based and not geared at K to 12 or post-secondary. There's nothing. We like the subjects on your agenda. Can we come to your conference? We're like, 
well, yeah, I mean, sure, we hadn't really thought about it. But and so we started to get more and more people from other industries. And so that's when we went through a bit of a name change rebrand to the Canadian e-learning conference. Um, And it's only just sort of continued to grow and evolve in the last few years. It's not even just been the Canadian e-learning conference. We've had a lot of our friends from the United States that have come up to join us, both as speakers and attendees, folks from the UK, Australia. It's really become um, a draw for a lot more areas. But this year we are virtual again. Our conference is held each year at the SickKids Conference Center because, again, come from the roots of hospitals. So um, had access to that beautiful facility, even with some things lifting, obviously children's hospital, they're a little bit more cautious. So we're going to stay virtual this year. And this is the children's hospital. It's a really big children's hospital. in huge, Toronto. Yeah, it's yeah. the huge center children's hospital in Toronto. So virtual this year, but we have a great agenda. It's actually coming out uh, next week on our conference website. Again, we have truly global speakers that are tremendous experts in learning and development. And we've got everything from, you know, sort of JavaScripting, virtual reality, um, storyline, articulate storylines, always like a, a huge draw across industries, um, but a little bit of everything in that agenda. And then Uh, What we're adding on this year is we're also going to do um, a couple of, or at least one, possibly two, uh, workshop Wednesdays in September following the conference where we focus in on a half day on on a key topic, but really literally anyone now can attend the conference. And I would say it's one of those conferences that is still got that very personal, homey, small town feel so you know it's you go and you meet a lot of people you make some even virtually like there's a lot of opportunities we we build in a lot of opportunities to network and meet people because those connections like carry forward you know you're leveraging each other and you you know just building that community of practice that you have even further that's really great Uh, you certainly cover a lot of really, really good topics. And uh, it gives people a fantastic insight of what's new, different ideas that they may not have been aware of. And, and as you said, that networking, getting to know people and hearing about their experiences and their knowledge. I mean, it's just a really fantastic thing. So hopefully people can, uh, can attend. And the the link to the conference is in the show notes. So people can still go and register and the full agenda will be up there. Um, The full agenda is published as well. Um, so it will be up there as well. Um, so Good. that if you want to check And when it, is the, the conference? Software. It's in June. Can you, what are so the it's in June, it's June 16th and 17th okay. this year. Perfect. Well, there's still time for people to register and attend because they can attend from anywhere in the world, which is, which is a fantastic part which about is, the virtual, virtual yes. aspect. Yeah. We've so. been trying to be cognizant of time zones. So the conference doesn't kick off on the Thursday until uh, the keynote will start at noon. So we'll be opening up at about um, 11.45 a.m. Um, Eastern Standard Time. And then the following day, we start at 11, just trying to be cognizant of our folks on the other side of the globe. <laughs> it's going to be a wonderful event. So hopefully people can join. 
Well, thank you, Cindy. So many important points in this very vast and massive uh, space that is workplace learning technologies, which is there's so much to know about it and so much to learn, but you've shared so many really, really important points. Time and time again, you notice that it's if it's missed, then it's a great loss to the to the people and the organization. Definitely. So before we end, I always like to ask for recommendations. And so I, I would like to ask you if you have something to recommend in terms of to read or listen to or people to follow, because it is certainly a space where there's there's a lot of interesting people as well. Oh, sure. I mean, I guess I can kind of give you my top three people that I that I follow on a regular basis. I love Will Fellheimer because uh, it when it comes to like research based learning and really following all of the latest research, following his blog um, and following him on Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. Um, Connie Malamed, just for the practicality. And I love her books. Visual design is always one of my go to's that I kind of pull out to people and say, hey, take a look at this. Um, And I would say the third person that um, I would highly recommend is Julie Dirksen. Um, She's done a lot of fantastic work around learning and behavior change. You know, she also has, you know, a great Facebook group. She's got a great blog. So um, all tremendous people to follow and learn from, and they give so much of themselves to the community. They're, They're very open and responsive to questions. So great that's really really good it's all about learning from each other so that's a wonderful thing and of course to follow you which i enjoy and i enjoy the posts that you put up and uh, and the great resources so so definitely that should take a look well cindy thank you so much i really enjoyed our conversation and learning from you there's always such great insights and thank you very much for coming on the podcast thank you thank you very much